Let us pray. Our Father, what a wonderful testimony of what you have done for 72 years through this church. We are thankful that they have such wonderful memories of allowing your word to impact their hearts and have it working out through their lives as they not only sought to encourage and edify one another, but to reach out into their community and to, to send funds and sometimes workers uh, around the world uh, to share the gospel and be a part of those missions as well. Father, we're encouraged to be a part of this part of their lives uh, as they are, are in transition, seeking a pastor to lead them uh, to the next chapters of what you would do for, for them and through them. And God, I thank you for the uh, great encouragements that uh, we've experienced in seeing the hearts of those desirous to serve those that desire to sacrifice and ensure that uh, the work of the ministry continues on. Father, as the, the church also seeks to think of ways in which they can continue to keep sharp for the, the purpose of accomplishing what you desire for them to accomplish. Father, the uh, society and situations and that what we're up against is, is all the more difficult and uh, there's not time for us to uh, coast as we need to consistently be thinking about how do we get your word into the hearts and minds of other people so it'll come out into their lives. Father, you've tasked me with coming alongside this church to not only uh, work with their leaders and to uh, help them uh, think through and, and plan through uh, their, their future and what they would like to do and helping them, assisting them in the process of seeking out their next pastor. But you've tasked me, Lord, to open the word as I'm doing this morning. And I ask that you will help me to, to do so in such a way that is, is, is very true to what you're saying, but also very uh, clear to what can impact them as a local church so that they can accomplish that which you have called them to do. Thank you again for such a, a sweet testimony and for the faithfulness of Yvonne and others that have invested in this church for years. And Father, I'm so thrilled to have such great fond memories. And Lord, I pray that as, we, as they move forward, that you will give them more and more uh, great memories of people coming to know you as Savior individuals' lives transformed and hope being distributed to so many people. And God, I pray that uh, all those things would uh, be in some sense some fruit to my account for the time that I've invested here. But Lord, I know that it'll be even more fruit to their account for someday they will stand before you and they want to hear, well done, good, good and faithful servants. And Lord, for my part, I pray that I'll be faithful to help them in this process. I ask in Jesus' precious name, amen. If you've been with us, we've been talking from the book of Titus, sharing with uh, you the different things that Titus was receiving from Paul and the attempt to uh, encourage us to think of how this comes into play in your life. Uh, as I prayed, I emphasized the fact that uh, and God knows this, and you know this, that, uh, uh, that the church is actively looking for a new senior pastor. 
someone that uh, will, will take the things that we're studying in Titus and m- make them a reality in a greater fashion than what I'm capable of doing uh, in the short time that I'm here. But my desire is to lay some groundwork and to lay some groundwork to help you have an attitude to be in a certain direction as you work through this. I've entitled today's message, uh, The Life on Life Training. And I don't know if you've ever had a job that you've required training for. I've had plenty of jobs that they didn't give me much training at all. I was just thinking through the various jobs that I've had outside ministry and how much training I got from them. And I had uh, a lot of training when I was the, uh, one of the lifeguards up at camp, uh, how to make sure I was certified for life-saving. But I didn't get a whole lot of training on how to clean all the toilets and all that type of stuff. But I just kind of had to learn as we went through that uh, experience. Uh, Then I went to work in a meat department. Now, you would think that sounds glamorous and dangerous. My job was to clean the pots and pans. There were like absolutely no instructions, just a big sink with a bunch of pans and get them clean. And I said, well, how clean? Get them clean. You know, how do I do this? And had to learn how to work through that. And then I got to work as a roofer. And my job was just to carry pails of this hot hot pitch or whichever it was we were putting on at that time. And the only instruction was just don't get burnt, okay, Uh, type of thing. And then uh, uh, working at... uh, a variety of different places. Uh, I think Montgomery Wards was the most telling of all as they didn't know what they were doing and they threw me into the camera department and uh, with no instructions. That was not a good idea. And then uh, United Parcel Service, while I was loading the back of semis, uh, they just said, make sure they go in the semi and don't let the bad ones get in there and uh, had to learn by watching what was going on. Uh, in regard to that. And, and one of my favorite ones is how to make rat bait. Now, I really got trained well on that one. You take, and I, I can explain it to you right now, you take the bar that comes out and then you put it on a scale and you pinch it until it says 0.99 and you hand it to the next person. I was trained well on that one. But uh, I think it, was, it just kind of, there's so many others. The dog grooming one was very interesting, but. Uh, uh, yeah, that one lasted uh, two days. Um, that's because I figured it all out really fast. <laughs> uh, no, I just I figured out I didn't want to do that. Um, but, but one that really comes to my mind is, is uh, the, if you can see the picture there, it's a picture of an exterminator. While serving at Crossroad Baptist Church, uh, we decided it would be valuable for me to step into some bivocational work to... to uh, a lot, a lot of explanations regarding that, but I'll just say it this way. I got a chance to be an exterminator, but they weren't going to let me go be an exterminator without some training. The first part was just me studying, whether it was listening or reading or all these things so I could pass a test. I could not touch anything until I could pass a test on all the chemicals and what the different things were, were designed for extermination. And, fi- and so I passed the test, and they put me in a, a truck with another trainer. And that trainer was to take me around, and we went through these kind of process where I studied uh, before I got to the trainer. And when I got with the trainer, I had to watch what they did. They went around and did the things that I would be doing over and over again. But I watched them. 
And then the next thing would happen is that uh, uh, I did, well, they told me everything I did wrong, okay, or what I should watch out for. And then I did uh, while I had to have someone on my speed dial to get a hold of because there was numerous things that were a lot more complex than what the guy told me in the training. And as I think of what this uh, on-the-job training for me was, uh, I saw how it correlated a lot with what I was learning and teaching and experiencing in local church ministry. That there is that time where we have our studying, where we are, we are immersing ourselves into these biblical principles to understand what they are. I call that the opportunity to take the hooks where we can hang the biblical truths of life on. We, we have that understanding. So when we have, whether it's a biblical doctrine as you go through the scriptures like we are right now in, in Titus and seeing basically the, the doctrine of how a church operates under the leadership of a pastor. Or if you're dealing systematic theology, when you look through the various aspects of who is God, who's Jesus Christ, uh, what's the Bible about, what are angels, what's the end times, all those type of things. Those are all hooks in which we hang things. So when we're reading through the Bible, we hear, hear the Bible, we know where it goes. Okay, And then we have those situations where life is trying to be interpreted and we have the opportunity to, to understand what it means that what God says about life and how that impacts my life and how do I then experience that and live it out as well as how do I pass it on. So today we're going to talk a little bit about that concept of passing it on. Started last week when we were talking about how that Titus needed to talk to the older men and the older women. And so on Life on Life example, he says this, and he gives this example. This is the example he chooses to use. He says, older women, and I'm skipping a little bit on there just to get to right to what he's emphasizing, are to teach what is good and so train young women. I looked at that word train, and here's kind of the background of this word train and the emphasis of it. It's restore one to his senses, to moderate, control, curb, discipline, to hold one to his duty, to admonish, to exhort earnestly. When I was in training for uh, the exterminator job that I did for three years, I was being taught because I needed to be held to the duty that I had because I not only was responsible for ensuring the job did well, I represented a company that if things went wrong, then there would be some, some problems that would be beyond my uh, uh, accountability. So they wanted to make sure I was held to that duty. And as we think about the process of ensuring that the things that were taught from the scriptures are passed on, it, it helps to realize there are some things that are really about helping us do what God has designed for us to do. And I, and I believe that the usage of, of the specific example of the women is not designed necessarily to uh, uh, give a whole scope of what women's ministry should be or anything along that line. I think it's a good opportunity to talk about something that is very important and to exalt the value of women in the life of the, the body of Christ. And he does so to let them know that, that there, is, there are some things that sometimes fall through the cracks. There are things that are in the scriptures that are truth that are better caught 
then they are taught, that they are seen, they are experienced, they, they involve asking questions, they involve uh, uh, really seeing what's happening. I discovered very early in my ministry that even though after four years of being trained how to go out into the world and to serve a local church, there were many things that didn't tell me in Bible college. And there were things that I'd go to, to seminars, etc. And there's many things I didn't learn. So I had to get on the phone and call someone and say, what do I do about this? And often in my ministry as a young pastor, that was something that took place. Now that I'm not necessarily the young pastor, I find myself being available to, to other pastors, helping them work through these types of things, of having that training, of helping them be held to their duty, not a duty I gave them, but a duty they have from God, and so that I'm being instrumental to help them learn, and as I said many a times, I get the opportunity to tell people uh, how not to do things, and uh, that, that through the years of experience, it's not because I have a full track record of doing everything right, it's because I've made good note of what things didn't work very well. And I've sought to learn not only from myself, but from others. And that's the type of things that God wants us to train or to pass on and help others in it. Now, I'm going to just highlight three different things this morning as we look at Titus. And it will require me to move around a little bit. And the first part is just simply kind of a summary. There's so many lists that you have in Titus chapter 1 and 2 about character. And so as I thought about those various character items, I thought, how do they bear out an attitude? It's one thing to be able to say, okay, this person is good enough to be in that position, whether they're going to be their pastor or whether they're going to be someone who's teaching somebody else in the church. I think it's more than that. I think it's what about that characteristic should motivate me not only to just try to be good at that, but to utilize that to help other people. So bear with me, I chose just eight because I thought it would just be uh, too difficult to go over all of them from this perspective. And I will not go through them through detail, but I'm hoping you can fill in some of the blanks yourself as you think about that characteristic and as you think about someone coming alongside you and trying to help you in some areas of you performing your duty as a child of God. So let's look at a few of them. Uh, first of one I had on there was uh, above reproach. This was emphasized for that of the uh, the elder, the uh, you know the, the uh, that that was emphasized there uh, for his overarching character. And as I think of that, if I were to have if, if I'm to have above reproach, why is that important? I know why it's important to me, because I want to stand before God and be pure and holy and do everything that is right. But why would it be interesting or important to someone who has to listen to me, or who wants to come alongside me, or wants to hear what I have to say? I, I think that the reason that I think that that's important is I want people to know that I am trustworthy, that I'm attempting to be as honest and pure before them as I can. And if there is anything of question of me, I am open to be questioned so that I can ensure to them that I am desiring to love them and I'm desiring to properly utilize the scriptures to help them. That is why I want to be above reproach. I want to be, in a sense, tested from the perspective of, can you trust me? Often, I come into people's lives who are very scared, hurt, 
and a lot of bitterness, a lot of anger. And uh, I know that they are sitting with me because they really don't want to, but they don't know where else to turn. And I tell them, I understand that this is not easy, and I want you to know there's two things that are critical to me. I want you to know that I want to treat you like a brother in Christ, and I want to be able to show you that I'm competent to help you go where you want to go. Those are both things that uh, uh, really need to be above reproach. Not arrogant. Why do I not want to be arrogant? I want people to come to me. I want people to feel that they can ask me questions and that I will respond to them in a non-condescending fashion. I want them to know that I have struggled and that I have seen the power of God come into my life because I believe it's not about me being perfect or me being smart or me being anything else that's going to help anybody else. I am hoping, I'm hoping that I have what it takes up here to bring them through the scriptures and such, but I don't want them to think that that's what I'm depending upon. I want them to know that the power is in Jesus Christ because that's what they'll need for their life moving forward. Uh, as I think about coming alongside and training someone, and I say that from my perspective, and again, I hope you're thinking about it from your perspective. If you're to carry on this concept of training someone else, of you, whether you consider yourself an older person or not, or wherever you are on that discipleship trail that you're helping the person behind you, to encourage you to think through these items. And the third, third one I have on there, hospitable. I want to reach out to people. It's one thing, and, and, and quite frankly, we all have our different personalities. Uh, some are very direct people. They're ones that they figure out what they want to do. They got a plan, and they're going to articulate that plan, and they're going to go after it. There are others that uh, that, that might be more responsive, uh, wherein they're, they're they see a need, meet a need, kind of a thing, or or and 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 want to really react to something that's really important, type of thing. And there's a lot of varieties in between. But what 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 I would find myself is typically being a responder. I love when someone has a need, and I can meet the need. I mean, that's, that's where God has bent me. But the reality is, in hospitality, sometimes we need to be initiators. And we need to be intentional in wanting to bring our life into the life of somebody else. And to think about, how do I connect with someone else? We usually think of hospitality as having someone over to our house. And that's part of it. But hospitality is also just simply taking the time to text somebody, give them a call, or, or to connect with them in some fashion which shows I care about you, I've been praying about you, that I think about you. All these things are ways in which we convey hospitality. And why do I want to do that? I want to reach out to people because I want them to see that I genuinely care. And so when they really want to learn and grow and become like Jesus, that they'll trust me as one that, they, that can help them go to that point. Uh, Self-controlled is another one that's uh, uh, really emphasized a lot throughout the uh, the different phases and responsibilities that are cited there. It's said of the, uh, of the you know, of the pastors. It's, it's said of the older older men. It's uh, said of the younger women. It's said of the uh, younger men. Uh, it's implied in the older women. It's just all through it. The whole idea of self-control is the uh, uh, the controlled of the mind, thinking in such a way that is sober. Not all caught up in emotions, not all caught up in what the latest trend is or what's going on here or allowing all the things that are on the, uh, that's going on 
in, on Facebook or uh, in the t- television to impact how we think. But we think from a biblical perspective. And that's a, how, why do I do that? I want to think about the right things. And I want people to know that when they come to me and they talk with me or I'm coming alongside them, that I want to help them navigate all the things that want to combat with the mind. And if I can't combat my mind, how can I ask them to trust me in that particular area? Upright and holy is uh, my behavior to match my words. That's encouraged later on. I'll close with the, the verses that are specifically to Titus at the end of this chapter. But the idea is that we want our walk to match our talk. We want us to be able to not only know what the Bible says, but be able to live it out so that people don't have to go, okay, I know what the Bible says, but that I don't see that there. How do you, you know, uh, I don't see that in your life. I want my behavior to match my words. I gained a lot from those people when I saw that their behavior matched what I understood them to believe. And I said, they get it. And I was more apt to listen to that person and grow more from them. Disciplined, I want to say yes to the best things. When we decide, and this is, this is something that's, that's very important as a church, discipline is deciding on what you don't say yes to, Okay. There are a lot of good things to do in a church, but what is it that's going to be the best things? Uh, we try to encourage churches to realize or people to realize there's some key things, those things that are critical to God. And sometimes, because we're doing some good things, we're missing out on some critical things that God really, really, really cares about because we're doing some things that God does care about, but not doing the things that God really, really cares about. And so I want to discipline, so I say yes to the best things. I want to be dignified. I want to make it easy for people to respect me. That word dignified is kind of hard for me because I really sometimes am silly. I mean, matter of fact, that's how uh, Marty kind of described me back when we were dating. So he was trying to explain what I looked like. and he said, He's kind of this squirrely guy. And I thought, well, that was really helpful. You know, uh, you know, just kind of, but, but I can have a, a desire to, as a matter of fact, I wanted to come up here and just pretend like uh, nobody could hear me, just for the dear folks online, uh, so they could think that the audio was, was still going bad or whatever. But, you know, those are the things that come into my head. But in dignity, there are so many other facets about it. It's not so much about whether you can have a good time or whether you have a sober face or anything like that. It's about being consistent uh, so that you are someone that you'll respect. And one of the key areas for that is keeping confidentialities and keeping consistent to our word and doing what we need to do. Those are the things that become respectful. Those are the things that are dignified. Not a slanderer. I want to just share with this. This is something that's emphasized. Is These are those attacking words. This is the same word that's used for the devil. Okay? That when we get caught up in using our words to, to uh, attack other individuals, and we can do it, uh, you, the, the, the capacity of the, wor- the tongue to be like a fire to burn is, is great. And we can use our words to put people in their place, can't we? We can judge them. We can tell them where, where they stand and what should be their situation. And God says, don't be a slanderer. Why don't I want to be a slanderer? Because I want people to trust me. You know, when we go off and we vent to someone about something that we don't like, we are setting a precedent to them that we have the capacity to really let's you know, express 
in detail, and sometimes very negative detail. And it's not too long before someone wonders, well, I wonder what they say about me to other people. And as a result, the whole concept of how I use my tongue and whether I'm using my tongue to build up or I'm using my tongue to tear down, that I recognize that my goal is to use my tongue to encourage others. And even if I might be with those that I'm trying to develop relationships with, what am I doing if I'm talking negatively and I'm talking in such a way that's tearing down and possibly tearing down an individual who's preaching the word of God or teaching the word of God or someone else that God has designed to have a training opportunity in their life and I shoot through my careless words could put up a roadblock, put up a, a barrier for them to trust that person wherein God has told me, my role, if I've got an issue with someone, is go talk to them, not go pollute somebody else in regard to what they think about this person. So these attitudes are very important to me if I want to be part of the training process. What are the training environments? You guys talked about some of those this morning during your celebration. It's pretty cool to, to look over 72 years uh, to just uh, how God has been faithful. But I want to look at just three things, the examples of Deuteronomy, of Jesus, and of uh, and examples that might take place in your local church. Uh, it says this uh, in Deuteronomy 6. You know that the concern was that, you know, they came out of Egypt. They've been exposed to the false idols for a long time. God, in a sense, was silent before them. Uh, probably wasn't a very good job of passing down the truth that God exists and all that. And so... Uh, as they're getting ready to go into the promised land, uh, Moses is given this instruction from God to teach your children diligently as you sit, uh, when you walk, when you lie down, when you rise up. And then he says, you know, have them be about the back of your hands, you know, have them, uh, tie them on your hands, have them be in the middle of your eyes. And I say it this way, you know them like the back of your hand, okay, uh, have them fixed in your head and make them prominent in your house, put them on your doorpost, etc. Uh, sadly... A lot of the people that were given this instruction took the, the, the literal concepts and never took the principles home. They, they could have something on their walls that would talk about something that, that God said, but they didn't live it out in their lives. The point was not just to have a plaque in your home that says this home uh, it, you know, is, is, is a place where X, Y, and Z happens. The point is to live that out so that it looks like there's a plaque there. That when anybody walks in there, they'll say, this is the message I see. It's not about the physical aspects. And what you take away from here is that, that uh, God was making it type of thing when you, you sit, you walk, you lie down, you rise up. We don't compartmentalize our training. It needs to be a part of our lives in all different aspects. And I fear that in churches we compartmentalize. And we say, okay, the training's going to take place at this time. And we do this this way. And, and uh, we just get in our mind that that's the way it has to be. Look at Jesus' example. He, he uh, had the multitude. We know the Sermon on the Mount. Uh, also, there's a Sermon on the Plain. Uh, there's a time when he's preaching. And all the people get hungry. And uh, the, the disciples are going, hey, there's no food here. Send them away. And Jesus says, you feed them. Now, okay, wow. All right. Is that, is that a, an opportunity for the 12 to learn something? Often, after he talked to the multitudes, Jesus would do something with the twelve that would uh, help them see that they needed to play out. Uh, interesting enough, in uh, Luke chapter 10, he talks about the 72 that he sent out, two by two. 
when did he train them? How did he do that? How, what was all developed in regard to that? It was another aspect of how he used an environment to, to train people. We talked about the 12 and, and how that they were given object lessons of washing their feet, going through the whole communion with them. All these things because he's preparing them for an expanded ministry uh, that, that they would take place. Uh, he even went down to three of them at the Transfiguration. Two on the road to Emmaus. Uh, he even had one-on-ones, whether it was with Nicodemus or Mary and Martha at the time of Lazarus' uh, death, uh, Peter, multiple times. You just see Jesus using environments. And I think as a local church, we would be wise to do similarly. Because uh, if you consider, what are the different things that, that we typically have in a church? We have our time of worship, and it's very easy to say the people who are doing the training are the ones either standing behind here or maybe over here, uh, that that's the ones doing training, or also include the ones that are doing children's ministries and such. But do you do training when you come together to worship? Do you do training by your attitude and by the way in which you come to church, the, the consistency in which you come, the attitude in which you come? Are you doing some training during that time? Uh, ABF is a great opportunity to, uh, to not only learn. So often we see that as another situation where someone is talking and someone is listening. But it's a great time when interaction can take place and when life-on-life life experience could be there. I remember having to come alongside someone and saying, Hey, your ABF time is a great time for you to minister to someone else. Yes, it'd be great if everything that was taught in there was what you wanted to learn. But you're a mature Christian, and you know these things, and there's going to be individuals you need to come alongside of that you want to bring into this environment so they can see how people learn and how they grow in these particular areas. Small groups are excellent places where we, we, where we can learn. I didn't learn about small groups until the 80s. I had a pastor that came in and said, here's what we're going to do. We're all going to do small groups. I thought, whoa, what is that? I wasn't taught that. I was a CE major in school. We didn't do small groups. Sorry, it's not part of the plan. You know? And he sat down with us and he said, no, here's what's going to happen. We're going to go through this. And I'm going I'm to lead you all through this book. And then some of you are going to take this same book that I just led you through. And you're going to lead a bunch of people through it. And I'm going to go lead some others through book two. And we're just going to keep on doing that. And I thought, I had never seen that before. And then I decided to do it. And I thought, this is really good. This is really good. I sat down with deacons who have been part of a church for years, quite a few years my senior, and they loved sitting down and going through the disciple-making process in a small group. It was hard to, uh, to realize that sometimes we had a small group of people, and I wanted to, in a sense, use some of my big group people uh, skills and, and tools and not realize Jesus didn't get up in front of his disciples and preach at them like he was at the Sermon on the Mount. He spent time interacting with them and such. And I, it was a paradigm change for me uh, to, to, to look at that. One-on-one um, -on -one, uh, opportunities. Your counseling ministry here. I think it's fantastic. You have four certified counselors at your church. When I came to the state in 2000, I made the third one in the whole state that were certified through what we would call now the ACBC. You have four in your church. 
I think it's fantastic to think about how that is an opportunity to come alongside people and help them take the Word of God to where they are in their lives so they can, what we usually call it, help them kind of get out of the ditch so they can use the rest of the discipleship uh, process to, to move forward. Our goal was not to try to take care of everything on one-on-one. That's, that's really not practical and it's really not necessary. There are other things that you do as a church that help people grow and change, and we need to encourage them to be involved with those things in regard to it. I just noted some of the things. Teaching children is a great way. Now, I think it's a great way to teach children, but I think it's a great way for adults to get connected life on life. Uh, that's one of the most multi-generational place that I see whether I'm coming to your Calvary kids here or whether we're dealing with Arowana or wherever, wherever I've been, to see individuals of varying ages and, 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 uh, and, and sexes to get together and, uh, you know, men and women of various ages is what I want to say, uh, getting together and seeing life on life in those type of situations, all for the purpose of helping the children. Uh, you got that also in group serve, like being a part of music ministry. Excellent opportunity. Yes, you can use your, your, your voices to praise God. You can put together a ministry that can impact the hearts of people as you sing them. But in those times, people's lives can be transformed as they learn about life principles as they're working with their friends in that type of environment. And then uh, finally, is as you go, I have a friend, John Jinks, and he tells a story of how he has intentionality in his hunting. I know nothing about hunting. I'm pretty sure I'll never get invited on one of his hunting trips, okay? But on his hunting trips, he's intentional on that. And one of the things that he did is he took the, uh, the situation of a bad-tasting duck, uh, and he said that, that, that they tried to not shoot them. Because if you shoot them, you got to eat them, and they taste horrible. Now, to the trained person, they can tell right away but uh, in order to help the non-trained person, they had a way in which they warned them. They said, when they see one coming up as they fly, they yell, Merg! Okay, because that's the kind of bird it is. And you're not supposed to shoot them. Uh, but sometimes people get a little overzealous, and they do, and then they have to eat it, and it leaves a bad taste in their mouth. Well, what they decided to do is to take this hunting trip and just a one-on-one, one-on-twelve, whatever it was, as they said, why don't we do this? Every time we start complaining, why doesn't someone warn us and yell, Merg? You know, because we, we don't see it. It comes, and before you know it, that complaint leads to another complaint, another one, another And so they did that all the rest of the trip, and they found themselves doing that in church, and, and et cetera. Now, I'm not suggesting that, okay? Um, but, uh, but that's the example of what happens when we do life on life. It doesn't have to be prescribed, though it is important to be intentional in regard to it. What are the training materials? Here's something to just kind of emphasize quickly as we, as we wrap this up. We've, we've, we've talked about these things, and you can study them. And quite frankly, for the older women, it's better for you to teach them to the younger women. Let me just say it that way. Uh, it says the older women are to teach what is good. Uh, that word good has many meanings to it, and it's just a really beautiful, handsome, excellent, eminent choice, surpassing, precious, useful. I understand. I understand underlined useful because that's what we need in this world today we need people to come alongside us with useful teaching teaching that's true teaching that's right but it's useful something that I can use in my life to help me navigate what's going on practical is not the opposite of biblical practical is biblical 
is how we practice what we learn in regard to the scriptures. He says to love your chi- their husbands and children. Uh, let me just uh, uh, look at the, this important aspect of life that the, the older women are do, to do to the younger women. Now here I'll say, I don't know how you want to define older women in this situation. My wife had more opportunities when she was raising her small kids to come alongside other young mothers because they could see her heart attitude, they could see some fruit in the life of those kids, and many times she was the life-on-life person to, to come along and help them learn how to love their husbands and to love their children. I'll just say this, uh, this, is, this is interesting. Um, women who have a family will spend a good amount of their time with their children. Marty uh, spent 25 years with her children up until our last one graduated from the house. That's 25 years, and it's very important to know how to navigate that time. And it's great to have someone who comes alongside you and helps you work. Because what's interesting is kids do not come with instructions, and they do not stay the same. And they're not all the same. And it's so good to have someone that you trust and you love and meet these characteristics we've talked about that help us learn to love our children. I, I've said it this way, is that uh, that philos is fondness, that, that the, uh, the word isn't agape. It is actually the word that we talk about, brotherly love. It's about having this fondness of our husbands. And I would just say this simply, that's that pursuing the oneness. I am saddened by the number of cases I get drawn into and hear about, about couples that get to a place where their kids are raised and they get through the child-rearing stage and they have nothing in common and the marriage is empty and there's no desire to move forward. Something has happened over those child-rearing times that a fondness was not being developed between the husband and wife. Uh, There was a great amount of sacrifice love, but I'm not sure they developed those relationships. Another woman is much better at teaching that than I am to to a woman. Uh, and also the children. I just put down, uh, Paul talks about those who he disciples. They're my joy and my crown. Sometimes we don't see our kids that way. And who's going to help us see it that way? Um, just real quickly uh, to go through these things. I'm not going to, to unpack them. But look at those, those, those items that are up there. As, as you consider the various things that are said about what the younger women should take out of this experience. And I, I just want to emphasize the working at home just simply because that's easily compartmentalized as to whether your job is in the house or your job is out of the house. Can, can, can I say that I'm pretty sure that's not really what Paul was talking about? I think he, Paul was talking about what's similar in First Timothy chapter 5 where he talks about how the young women might be tempted to be idlers. They might be tempted to go from house to house to be gossips and busybodies. I think that's really what he's talking about is, is the emphasis of where your focus is and not getting distracted. Can I say that things are different now as what our distractions are? But there's many of them. There are many things that come into your home that are distractions, that are worthwhile, getting some assistance from another uh, woman to help navigate that situation. I want to close with this idea here. How do we show this and how do we work through this? Paul closes by telling Titus this, show yourself in all respects to be a model of good works and in your teaching show. I think it's very interesting. 
if you're given a responsibility to teach or if you're willing to train, you want to make sure that there are actions that go along with show that people can see that you show your integrity, dignity, sound speech that cannot can be condemned so that an opponent may be put to shame having nothing evil to say about you above reproach. Father, I thank you for the privilege of sharing. Uh, again, there's just so much that uh, is, is packed into this. And I pray for, for each of the, um, the people that are here, that as the mentoring is not just about women mentoring other women, it's, it's all really about us mentoring other people. Paul chose to put an emphasis on the, on the women for a reason. And I think it's a valuable one because it's a very critical area and that women have a very important role, not only in the church, but in the home. And Lord, I pray that we might uh, uh, see how that uh, that should bleed into other areas of our, of our ministries, of recognizing that it's about our intentionality, it's about our attitude, it's about our willingness to teach the word of God in all different facets as you give us opportunity. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.